0: Thank you. What's up, Freedom House? Good to see everybody. Y'all look wonderful. Didn't Michael Martin do a good job? I don't know where. He probably left. He left because there was some heresy at the end of that offering about golf. That is not God. That was the devil got a hold of him. We need to pray for him. Cast that devil out of him. There he is right there. Lord, stretch your hands out to Michael. Lord, touch him, God. The hair thing, absolutely. Starbucks thing, golf thing, not a chance, once a month? Come on, man. Golly, no, I'm just kidding. He does a great job. Aren't you Aren't you thankful for our team? We got a great team. Worship team did a great job. I told, I told the team earlier in the first service, I said, if you can't preach after that, you need a new job. And so, uh, so they said, I'm good for another Sunday. So next week, we're not sure. If I'm not back next, next Sunday, I'm not good enough, so anyway. Hey, next week, matter of fact, at, uh, at our campuses, Lake Norman and South End, we are baptizing people. Uh, I got a video from them. They were showing me the baptisms. Uh, next week are the baptisms here at Central Campus, and so if you have not been baptized since you got saved, then I would encourage you to sign up and participate. Uh, I've been talking to quite a few people that came out of the Catholic Church and, And they're like so excited to get baptized because they realized that, you know, when they were a baby and they got sprinkled, that was great for their parents, great photo moment, but that wasn't real baptism. Because baptism is a result of you making an inward change in your heart and then deciding to follow Jesus. And it's your witness to everybody. It's sharing with everybody that you know, hey, listen, I'm changed on the inside. I'm a different person. And so you go down one person, you come up a brand new person, and uh, we promise not to hold you down for the number of sins you've committed in your life. It'll be a quick one for you, except for Michael Martin. Come on, we need to pray for Michael Martin. (laughs) We also want to welcome all of our live streamers. we got Nigeria, Puerto Rico, North Carolina, Florida, Maine, New York, Ohio, Indiana, Georgia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and MI, that's Missouri, isn't it? Missouri. Let's give it up for all of our live streamers. If I mess that up, I'm sorry, because I still have failed geography. So many of you know that I am, uh, I'm an only child, so I have no brothers or sisters, and I'm an only grandchild. And so before my mom got saved. She may be watching, so I uh, love you, mom. Um, she she lives in Richmond still. Before I got saved, before she got saved, I used to have to go to my grandparents on the weekends because my mom wanted to party on the weekends, and so she would basically have my 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 papa and my mimi. They would come. That's what I call my grandparents. They're they're now in heaven. They're cheering for me right now. I'm their second favorite preacher, next to Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen <laughs> was always her favorite. She says. Troy, you're my second favorite, and I'm like, what? Oh, come on, Grandma. But anyway, so uh, on Fridays, my grandfather would come and pick me up, and I hated it more than anything. I could not because I was I was have to leave all my friends at the apartment complex, and then go over to Grandma's house. Now, when I got there, I was super excited because my grandma could flat cook. Matter of fact, my wife learned a lot of cooking from my grandmother. She would she would always make an amazing meal on Friday. And then for those of y'all that are over the age of 40, Saturday morning cartoons. Real cartoons. Not SpongeBob, you know, Circle Pants or whatever his name is. Those are not real cartoons. No, Wile Coyote, The Road Runner, Porky Pig, you know, that, I mean, those were real cartoons. They meant absolutely nothing, but they were awesome to watch. And my grandma would always make me an incredible breakfast. I mean, she'd make me anything I wanted for breakfast. And I'd sit there from 7.30 in the morning till about 11 o'clock. And then my grandfather would take me outside. He taught me how to pee outside, which was awesome. Fantastic. Because every boy needs to learn from their grandfather how to go to the bathroom outside. Right? I mean, also, I don't know why I brought that up, but it just kind of came out. And so, then on Sunday, we would go to church. And we, back then, I went to the, we went to the Baptist church, so we had Sunday school, and then we had service. You know, So from 10 to 11 was Sunday school, 11 to 12 was service. And they didn't give you snacks back in Sunday school back then. So no snacks. Now, I know your kids get snacks back there, and Jesus and snacks at Freedom House. You, you only got Jesus at the Baptist church. No snacks. And so what would happen is I would go to the service, and we would be having communion. And I was so fired up. Because communion to me was a snack. It really, I didn't know what it meant. And my grandmother would ask me every single time we would have communion, because I'd say, hey, we're having communion, I'm participating. And she'd say, well, what does it mean? And I said, well, it has something to do with Jesus. She goes, that's good enough, you can take it. And now remember, the Baptist church, they had the big brass plates that would be passed along and some of y'all shaking your head because you, you remember. And so I would watch, I'm about eight years old, I'd watch as it would come down the aisle and I'm eyeing the biggest piece of bread that I can get as it's coming down the aisle. And I'm thinking, please, nobody get that one. Please, nobody. Get. And then when it'd get to me, I would pick that one up and if I was good, I could squeeze another one and maybe two in addition to the biggest one. And I have three pieces of Wonder Bread in my hand. And then I'd get the cup, you know, and then we'd eat it. And I just, oh, this is so awesome. I'm like, this is a snack. I didn't know what communion meant. Today, my prayer is that when you walk out of this room, that you would maybe have a new understanding of what this table that Jesus talks about is all about. Maybe that you would get a new revelation, a new, a new understanding of what the body and the blood is Maybe you've been taking communion. A lot of people ask me, why well, I don't want to do it every third, when, th- third Sunday of the month. It's because I mix it up because I don't want it to be something that's regular and we lose the meaning of it. Now, this entire month, we've been doing it every single Sunday, and we're going to do it at the end of the service today, but I want to talk about this for a little bit, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, so if you have your Bible, if you want to take some notes, every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about the Last Supper, or the institution of communion. Really what it was is Jesus was taking his disciples through the Passover. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul makes this statement about it. And here's what he says. He says, let a man examine himself. So as we're receiving communion, as we're looking at this table, one of the most important things that we do is we have to look at ourselves. What are we looking at? Well, I think we need to look back at the but God moments in our life. You know, I would be divorced, but God, I would be bankrupt, but God, I would be dead, but God, come on, I would be in jail, but God, my kids would be off the rails, but God, I would be jacked up, but God, we all have them, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see a lot of but gods that would not even know that God showed up in our life. We gotta look back. We also need to look within. We need to look inside of ourselves, introspective, at, at the reality that we, we need a savior because we're sinners. We, we've, we, we, are, we are in need of this incredible person of Jesus Christ, all God, all man, who came to save us. And we are a work in progress. Look at your neighbor, say, I'm a work in progress. We all are. Paul even said, I'm working out my my faith, my my salvation with fear and trembling. It's also a look ahead that one day we're gonna spend eternity with God and we're not gonna be little fat babies sitting on a cloud playing a harp. No, that's not what it's all about. That's boring. No, we're gonna be with God. We're gonna learn. We're gonna grow. We're gonna be sitting down with the person that doesn't exist in time and, and, and spend eternity playing golf, Michael Martin. I believe there's gonna be golf courses in heaven. And join our mansions. No, you shouldn't have said that. All right. So Luke chapter 22. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Verse one. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. Everybody say Passover. And the scribes and the chief chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him. This is interesting. For they feared the people. Isn't that crazy? How they wanted to kill Jesus because they were afraid of the people. I would think if you wanted to kill somebody it's because you're afraid of them. But the reason why they were afraid of the people is they started following Jesus and they thought they were gonna lose their power so let's kill him so we can have the people back. Then Satan entered Judas Iscariot. Judas surnamed Iscariot. His name means betrayer or traitor so his name is Judas Betrayer. If I had a name like that, I'd change it. Who was numbered among the 12. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. 30 pieces of silver, we know. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover, everybody say Passover, Passover. for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? Where do you want us to get this thing together? And he said, behold, When you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Now this was unique because typically women went in the morning and the afternoon to get water. So for them to see a man carrying a pitcher of water would have been something totally different. And he said, follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover? Come on, say it again, say Passover, Passover. With my disciples. Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there, make ready. So they went and found it, just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the, with the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now let's pause right there, because I'm going to focus on verses 19 and 20. But I want to go back to verse 15. Notice what he says. He says, with fervent desire. One translation says, with, with passion, Jesus says, I, I couldn't wait to do this. Now, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered what are called the synoptic gospels. Each one of them basically share the same story from a different perspective, and they give us one year of Jesus's life. John gives us three years of Jesus's life because we see three Passovers. Luke tells us at the end, right before Jesus is about to go to the cross, he says to his disciples, Man, I couldn't wait to do this with you. Now, why did he say that? Because he'd already done it three times with them. But why this time? Well, his disciples had had Passover every year of their entire life. And Jesus, too. Because they were Jews. So each one of them had Passover every year. But Jesus knew that this one was gonna open their eyes so they, they could really see the reason why they did Passover, this Last Supper. So this wasn't the first communion, this was actually years and years, probably like 1,500 years of, or, or 2,000 years of experience that had happened. Now if you were at, with us at Good Friday, you saw the meaning behind the Passover. So when Jesus says, I couldn't wait to do this with you, he knew, that they were gonna get it for the first time in their entire life. They were gonna understand. Now if you notice, and you read Matthew, Mark, and John, you don't see there's one missing component in the Passover that's not talked about at all. Because he talks about the body, or the bread, he talks about the blood, or the wine, or the cup, which we're gonna talk about in a few minutes, but there's one very important thing that was missing on the Passover table. You know what that is? The lamb. Why? The lamb was supposed to be on the table, but now the lamb was at the table. John tells us right from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, behold the lamb of God. So Jesus was about to show them who he was in all his glory through his sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection. And then in verse 19, he makes this statement. And he took bread, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many. Now Jesus talked about his body and his blood often in his ministry. He talked about it all the time. They didn't understand it. They, they didn't get it. It was very Odd for when he would talk about it often. He actually used it as kind of a dividing line to separate out his ministry. His ministry was going really good, and he said, you know, I'm gonna talk about my body and my blood so I can thin this out a little bit and make sure that I have the right people with me. Jesus often does that. It's called pruning. Happens all the time. Sometimes it happens in your life. Jesus thins out your life a little bit. Make sure you're going in the right direction. Come on, sometimes you gotta thank God. You gotta give the people the gift of goodbye. Hello, not hello, but goodbye. John six, he, he does this. At the first time he talks about it, he said Jesus said to them, he's talking to his disciples, he's probably had 70 plus follow him, we don't know how many, hundreds could have been following that called themselves disciples. And he said, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Freaked them out. They're like, what in the world are you talking about? Eat your flesh, drink your blood. I, I know the law. We're not even supposed to touch a dead body or even think about drinking blood. I mean, that's that's really bad, Jesus. What are you talking about? So he says it again. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Dude, you're getting a little crazy. Jesus, your ministry's doing really good. You were just on Forbes magazine. You're doing, I mean, the news outlets are looking at, your ministries at the very top. yeah. For my flesh is food indeed and my drink, my blood is drink indeed. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, and here's the key word, abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, he who feeds on me will live because of me. Now we understand that because we understand this, this table that we sit at because we've done it for years and years and years as Christians, but think about it. What if, what if you came in first time you ever came to church You walked in, we have worship, woo, woo, woo. Then I get up here and go, hey, get the knife. (laughs) You're like, what in the world? I'd be gone. I had some friends, my friend Eric and Ted. We used to surf together all the time up and down the East Coast. When I lived in Richmond, we'd go surf on the East Coast. One time they went by themselves and they were out in the middle of the country and they went to this little country church and it's probably about as big as this little section right here. And they walk in, and they were so fired up that they had guests come into the church. And so they say, you know, they were like, if we have any guests today, would you please stand up? And, and so Eric and Ted stand up, and they go, oh my gosh, we have guests, woo, woo, come on up front. And so they walk up to the front, what's your name? My name's Ted, what's your name? My name's Eric, hey, get the knife, true story. They were freaking out. If it were me, I would've been gone, out the door, Running. Now, they didn't cut anybody. They cut a piece of ribbon, gave it to them because somebody had died of drunk driving. But imagine, imagine you come to church. Hey, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood today. Amen, <laughs> praise the Lord. Now, what Jesus was saying had absolutely nothing to do with eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It had to do with intimacy. It's a theological term called mutual abiding. John uses this term abide, or remain, over 60 times in his gospel because he wants us to get an understanding that when we consume Jesus, we are consumed by him. Not in the literal sense, but in the spiritual sense. That when we connect with God, there's an intimacy that can happen between us and the Father, between you and the Father, between you and Jesus, between you and the Holy Spirit, That supersedes any other relationship that we could ever have, including our family. That we consume him and he consumes us and we are fully consumed by him and we live out this life. What an incredible picture of what the table is. So he talks about the body and the blood. So he said, he said, and he took the. Bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, verse 19. And he said, This is my body which is broken for you. You ever wonder why we use bread for communion to represent his body? Well, think about it. Bread is composed of single grains all pushed together, just like you and I. We are single grains pushed together to become the body of Christ. This is what makes the church so unique. We can go anywhere. We have friends, I have some friends here from Hong Kong. Okay, We, we barely know each other but we have a relationship because of God that no matter where you go, you have a connection with people because you are a part of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, we are the body. It's unique. I can go to any country in the world. I've done that. I've walked, gotten off a plane and connected with somebody. Around, and we, we don't even speak the same language. But yet there's a connection between us because of the body of Christ. Follow me. It, the grain is crushed, just like Jesus was crushed. He was crushed by the religious system and he was crushed by our sins. Then you take that and you put it into an oven and it's heated up so that we can enjoy it. Jesus died, went to hell, suffered the consequences for you and me so that we don't have to ever suffer that consequence and was heated up for you and me. Does that make sense? That's That's why bread is used. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. I like this part, in remembrance of me. When my kids were very young, we started something called making memories. It's a family tradition that we've had. So, I don't know where, I think I stole it from somebody, I don't know, but I start with my kids. Whenever something good would happen, I'd say, hey, we're making memories, or something bad would happen, I'd say, we're making memories. And so, we started, we talk about this all the time, and so we talk about those memories, and one of the things that we made some memories is when my kids used to get home from school on Friday, they would get off the bus, and mom and dad, Penny and I, would be waiting for them and we always planned a family night on Friday night. It was awesome. Sometimes we'd go to the movies. Sometimes we would go bowling. Sometimes we would go camping in my backyard. Set up the tent in the backyard. That's the best place to camp, by the way, in the backyard. Because if it goes bad, just go get in your bed. <laughs> right? My kids would tell you that we would camp outside. I'd tell them, we lived in Highland Creek at the time, which is right down the road. I'd tell them, hey, don't go outside the tent because there's a bear that lives in the neighborhood. They can tell you all about the Highland Creek bear. Now, he doesn't exist, but I made him up so they would never leave the tent. That's good parenting. No, it's not. It's not good parenting. But we made memories, made memories. I told all my kids when they graduated from high school. I said, when you graduate, if you graduate, when, when you graduate, I didn't say if, when you graduate, I will take you anywhere in the United States you wanna go, just me and you. So when my son graduated, I took him to Alaska. We saw whales, we fished for salmon. It was in, we saw bears. It was awesome, we'll never forget it. We made memories. My middle daughter, she wanted to go to Portland, Oregon. I don't know why. You meet her, you know why. You, you can see why. Great, we had a blast. We had so much fun together. We made some memories. My youngest daughter, she wanted to go to Key West. I'm like, absolutely. Longest trip we ever went on, (laughs) Key West. We love Key West. A key lime pie, the best in the world in Key West. We made some memories. I take my wife on a trip every five years for our anniversary, so 20, 25, 30. Last year, I took her to Greece for two weeks. And on one of the islands, we ran out of gas in the four-wheeler. And you know Penny, you know what she's going to do. Let me get my phone out. <laughs> this is going to be on Instagram. Look, my husband ran out of gas. She ran out of gas. <laughs> ran out of gas. I'm sure all of you saw that we ran out of gas. I felt terrible and she's like making fun of me the whole time. And in Greece, you, you run out of gas. You it's not like you can just walk to a gas station. They're like 10 miles away. There's only like four on the island, the entire island. And it's not good that you run out of gas. So I went and knocked on this guy's door. He doesn't speak any English. I'm like, no gas. Because you know, when somebody doesn't speak the language, you just talk louder and they understand. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to, get you know what he does? He gives me the keys to his scooter and says, just take the scooter, just take it, you can have it. So I jump on the back. We made some memories. Listen, listen, listen. Every time you gather around this table, Jesus is saying, make Some memories. Make some memories. Remember. Remember what? Let me give you a couple things to remember. First of all, remember that Jesus' body was broken so that you could be healed. God never intended you to live sick, diseased, or in pain. Let me say that again. God never intended you for, for you to be sick, diseased or in pain. No, 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 God does not make you sick to teach you a lesson. That is a lie from the pit of hell. No, the devil wants you sick and diseased and in pain so you can't fulfill the mission of God. And God set it into motion even prior to Jesus going to the cross For us to understand Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. 2,700 years prior, God is already letting us know that he's going to insert his word, Jesus, into our world so that his stripes would heal us so that we could be free from sickness and disease. No more migraines, no more cancer, no more diabetes, no more heart disease, no more blood problems, no more back pain, you can be healed. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can be healed by the stripes of Jesus, you can be healed. Peter even said it, who, himself, who he himself bore our sins on his own body, on a tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. At the cross, your healing manifested itself and you are healed. Receive that today. We're gonna pray for you a little bit later. Remember, remember that every part of who we are, no more anxiety, no more depression, healed in Jesus' name. That's what we need to remember when we gather around this table. Secondly, we need to remember that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. In other words, everything we have is because of Jesus, and everything we are is because of Jesus. Everything we have is because of Jesus, and everything of who we are is because of Jesus. He's the air we breathe, the life that we live. He's everything. Let me ask you a question, let me ask you a question. You ever seen a turtle on top of a fence? Never have. And if you did, if you did, the first question you would ask is, how to get there? Because turtles can't climb. Can they? They can't climb. So you look at that turtle, like, obviously somebody put that turtle on top of that fence. No mat- so no matter how good that turtle feels, no matter how tall that fence is, Somebody still put him on top of that fence. Look at me, look at me. What fence are you on top of? Because Jesus put you there. So don't ever take for granted what Jesus did for you. The sacrifice he made. We're where we are because of Jesus Christ. And see, this world is fighting against that trying to determine their own identity, their own gender. You know what they want to be? Their own God. And there's only one God, Jehovah, who sent his son Jesus to die for us. And we serve him, and it's because of his sacrifice that we live and move and have our being. Can I get an amen? You'll never forget that story, turtle on a fence, turtle on a fence. Because, here's the last one. Because we remember God forgets. I love this one. Hebrews 8, verse 12. I will, I will be merciful to the unrighteousness, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Listen, when you confess your sins to, to God, they are gone. Completely gone. Please, please, please don't live with your sins chasing you down every day. No, let His goodness and His mercy follow you all the days of your life. Your sins, when you confess your sins, he remembers them no more. And so when we gather around this table and we are confessing our sins as we examine ourselves and say, Jesus, your blood sets me free, your body makes me whole, I am free from the sins. They are no, they are no longer there anymore. Nope, he does not remember them then anymore, anymore. Secondly, he says in, in verse uh, 20, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. He says, he says that we have this blood that's available to us, this blood, new covenant. The Bible tells us it's a new covenant built upon better promises, a better covenant. The old covenant covered our sins. The new covenant washes it away completely, washes it away completely completely. And Jesus' blood is the way he distributes the blessings of the new covenant. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but in Luke 22, he references two cups. He says, take this cup, divide it among you. And then he says again, this cup is my, my, my blood, my, my covenant of the New Testament. Because on that Passover table, there were actually four cups. And I believe each one of those cups represents what the blood does for us the first cup, and Moses made this statement to the Israelites so they would understand, and they had to say this as they were getting ready to take the Passover. So I want you to think about this. When you you think about the blood, when you think about this covenant that we have, in Exodus 6, verse 6, he says, therefore, say to the children of Israel, and this is what they said every time they had Passover from that point forward, every time. They would make this declaration. They would say, I am the Lord, talking about God. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondages. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Each one of those represents a cup. Each one of those Is what the blood does for us. He says, I will bring you out, I will rescue you, I will redeem you, and I will take you as my people. What does it mean? I will bring you out, the blood separates. A word that you don't hear a lot in church is sanctifies. Sanctifies. What is sanctify? Sanctify means you are separate. And this is important for us as Christians in 2023. We are not to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world or live like the world. We're to be different, separate, distinct so that people desire to be like us and not like the world. Are you following me? And this is important for us Christians because it's been taught for a long time that you need to be so like the world they can't tell the difference so you can witness to them. No, your witness is because you are distinct. It's because you are different. It's because you have God filled you up. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And that's what God has called you to be is to be separate, sanctified, set apart for God for his purpose. And so you draw a line in the sand and say, no, 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 I'm not gonna be like the world. My marriage is not going to be like the marriages of the world. My, my, my family's not going to be like the families of the world. We're going to be different than a whole block. All, everybody's going to look to us and go, what, "What? you're different, yeah, because I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a blood-bought, Jesus-believing follower of God. And I will be different. And I'm going to stand for things that, You know, a lot of people may not like and I'm okay with that because Jesus was ostracized and put on a cross and if that's what it takes, and I'll stand for the truth that God gave us and I need to stand that way until until Jesus comes back and I'm gonna keep doing it and you can unfollow me and you can get mad at me and and call me all kinds of names, but they called him names. They probably would have unfollowed him on social media and I'm okay with that because I'm separate. I'm sanctified. I'm different. That's what the blood of Jesus does. Secondly, he says, I will rescue you. That cup, I will rescue you. I will deliver you from the bondages of Egypt. Let me go ahead and get the worship team out here. I don't know where they are. Let's get them out here. I will rescue you. The blood breaks bondages over your life. You know, when we started this church uh, 21 years ago, we prayed, there was myself, my wife, and two other people, that we prayed every Tuesday at my little condo that we were staying at when we first got here. And my wife had a vision, a very early vision of Freedom House Church. She had a vision of all of our campuses and she saw people walking in and their chains dropping off as they walked through the doors. And there's a big, she saw just saw this huge pile of chains at the front door as people came in and the bondages, the sins, the addictions, The problems, the challenges were dropped off of them because of the blood of Jesus. I will redeem you, he says. The blood buys us, it purchases us. I will take you as my people, I love this part. The blood reunites us with the Father. You know, that's what made the scribes and Pharisees so angry with Jesus was the fact that he equated himself as someone who could reunite with the Father. But when you, when you accept the blood of Jesus over your life, you have a connection with God, with our Father, that no devil in hell can t- take away from you. So I wanna pray for two, two groups of people this morning. I want you to stand up on your feet if you can. I wanna pray for you. Two groups of people. And we're gonna, you were gonna, we're gonna use this communion table as a way to remember what God has done. And believe and use our faith to take that step that's necessary in order for God to move. Remember, your faith faith is the currency you, you use with heaven. It's how you bring those promises out of heaven is your faith, your faith. Now, here's the deal. My faith will work for you sometimes. Your faith will work for you all the time. Let me say that again. My faith will work for you sometimes. Or Pastor Aaron's or Pastor Stephanie's or one of the leaders. Sometimes it'll work, but your faith The Bible tells us works all the time. And so if you have a cycle of sin that's holding you captive, let's apply the blood of Jesus. Let's use our faith to break that out. Break out of that bondage. Let's leave our chains today. I don't know if it's an addiction, if it's something that, that that thing that you get out of for a couple weeks and boom, it just hits you back again. You get out of it for a cup. boom, you just get back in again. It just gets you in this rut. It pulls you from church and from relationships and from connecting with God and prayer and and communion with God and relationship with him. And it just keeps pulling you in and out. And it's like this, this horrible life of going in and out and problems and good and bad and good and bad. And God wants to deliver you today. Complete deliverance. We're gonna use the cup. Of purchase, the the cup of sanctification to pull you out of that sin. Second group of people is I wanna pray, we wanna pray for people who need healing in their body. Healing in your body. You're dealing with sickness or disease or pain or something that you need God's healing power. And let me tell you, it's here today. Not because of anything we did, not, not because of how good our songs were, no, because you have faith to receive it. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus received stripes on his back so that you could be healed. How about today is the day you walk out of this place completely healed, no pain, no sickness, no disease. Amen? Let's believe that. So I wanna ask you, if that's you, if that's you, you're gonna have to use your faith. And that first step of faith is getting out of your seat and coming to this altar because we wanna pray for you. so go ahead right now as as the congregation just claps for you and gets excited for you I want you to get out of your seat and come right now I want to pray for you come on just get out of your seat if you need to get free from sin that cycle of sin you need to get get healed you want healing in your body just get out of your seat and come I want to pray for you keep clapping church come on keep clapping for them just come on come on God's going to touch you in a powerful way God's gonna touch you. Keep clapping. Just push all the way up front if you could. Thank you, thank you. Come on, keep clapping, keep clapping. Keep clapping. You gotta take a risk. Part of faith is taking that risk, and that means that step of faith. Come on, I'm gonna get healed today. I'm gonna get free today. The devil's not stealing another second of my life. I'm gonna be free. Now, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says... Lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So we're gonna use that as our point of contact today. We're gonna use that to connect our faith. So I'm gonna have leaders come around you right now, leaders of the church, and they're gonna lay their hands on you, and you're gonna recover. Now, I want you to understand something about healing. It's important. Because a lot of times we're like, well, I don't feel anything. Well, faith and feelings need to be separated. Sometimes you're gonna feel something, But most of the time, you're not, and that's okay. Because your faith is not determined by what you feel. Your faith is determined by what God said. Period, end of discussion. So when hands are laid on you, I'm healed. I'm healed. Now, some of you are gonna feel something. God might touch you right there. Now, what about about if nothing happens right now? Well, most of Jesus' miracles weren't immediate. Most of his miracles were he prayed for them and then they went off and they got healed. The word healing actually means the process has begun. And so we're gonna use our faith and believe that today the process has begun. Some of you... God's gonna heal you immediately. Some of you, by the time you get back to your seat, you're gonna be healed. For some of you, by the time you get in your car after service, you're gonna be healed. For some of you, when you step in your house this afternoon, God's gonna heal you. For some of you gonna wake up tomorrow morning and go, Man, I don't have any back pain anymore. Some of you gonna to go to the doctor this week and they're gonna go, Oh my gosh, your blood pressure is so low. What happened? And you're gonna say, Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. And so I want you leaders to come around them and just lay your hands on them. And just just pray. I'm gonna pray for healing first and then I'm gonna pray for people who are dealing with that, that sin cycle. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release the power of God over people right now. God, we thank you for healing. We thank you for deliverance. God, we thank you that your word declares that by your stripes, we are healed. So if we are healed, then I am healed. And so God, I thank you right now that healing will happen in everybody. Father, I take authority over cancer. I take authority over diabetes. I take authority over nerve problems and issues with your back. Lord, I thank you for complete and total healing. No more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. Father, we claim the word that his hands are laid on us. That the power of God will be released and people's bodies will be healed. Immediately, God, we pray for healing. Freedom in Jesus' name. Now, those of y'all that came for healing from that sin cycle, I want you to say this out loud. Church, join with them as they make this confession over themselves. Say, Heavenly Father, Father, I I believe that the blood of Jesus sanctifies me, delivers me from bondage. I believe That his blood that was shed for me removes the cycle of sin. I exchange my sin for his righteousness. And from this day forward, that bondage, that chain is broken and I am free. I am full of the liberty and the freedom of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Come, come and touch me right now, me right fill, now. Me. fill me in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now just lift your hands up. Come on, everybody in this place, just lift your hands up and just receive it. Father, in Jesus' name, we receive freedom and healing and deliverance. Oh, there's the sweet presence of God right there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Just. Thank you, Jesus. Just let him touch you right now. Matter of fact, just begin to thank him for it right now. God, I thank you that I'm healed. Lord, I thank you that I'm free. Lord, I thank you that I'm righteous because of what you did. Lord, I thank you that I'm not in pain anymore. God, I am gracious for the miracle working power of God in my life right now. In Jesus' name, I receive it and I thank you for it. That's what you got to do. You just got to start thanking him for it right now. Thank you, God thank you thank you that i when i walk out of this altar today i am healed i am free i am full of the presence and power of god thank you god thank you god no matter what i feel by faith i am healed no matter what i feel god i thank you that i'm healed when hands relate on me the power of god set me free i am healed. I am healed right now. I want you to say it. I am healed right now in Jesus name. I am healed in Jesus name, in Jesus name, in Jesus name. Now, come on, give him some praise. Thank him. Stay right here for just one second. Pastor Aaron and Stephanie, we'll give you a little direction. Okay.